And hi, everyone, and welcome to another Collective Hotelier Pulse live session here at Tech Talk Travel. Thank you so much for taking the time and tuning in with us and joining us here. And my name is Leah Jordan. I'm co-founder of Tech Talk Travel. It's my honor to host this session today. Um, if you feel this session might be interesting to your wider network, just make sure to share it now and also say hi in the comment section so we know where you're tuning in from and also add your questions and comments later on. But before I continue, please meet my fantastic co-host, Pedro Colaco, CEO hi. and guest Rick and Great Hotels of the World. Pedro, hi, great to see you. How are you? Good to see you. Very good, very good. Yeah, are you ready for another round? Uh, I'm always ready. <laughs> always ready. Yeah, that's what I love about you and our collaboration. So for everyone who's joining us for the first time, Guest-Centric started very early on in the pandemic um, to collect on a monthly basis data from the customers and hoteliers um, from certain markets, and they publish each month the Hotelier Pulse Report. And that's what we're discussing here today. Pedro will shortly introduce a few of the highlights, and then we will see what implications there are for the respective markets. And each session, we also have a guest um, panelist joining, usually a hotelier sharing his or her perspectives from the respective market and discussing with us. And today, we're very delighted to have tuning in from the UK, Ben Thomas, Chief Commercial Officer at Penta Hotels. Hi, Ben. Hey, how are you? Thank you, we're good. It's amazing good. to have you joining. Thank you for great. taking the time. No, great to be here, thank you. Yeah, and for the audience, I'm not sure if everyone is familiar with Penta Hotels. Um, your group um, headquartered in Frankfurt, right, in Germany. And currently there are 27 uh, operating hotels under the brand in Europe and Asia, correct? Yes, correct. Perfect. So that's a, that's a, that's a great uh, group size to look at when we look at the data. And also for the audience, to give you some context on Pedro, um, because I think it's always helpful to see like who's actually taking care of this um, report and who are we working with here. So Guest-Centric is a leading provider of cloud-based digital marketing software and services. Right, Pedro? So Yes, we are. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, and it's fun to work with them. I can uh, I can vouch for that. And then Great Hotels of the World, who we're working with um, a lot as well, is a leading representation company for independent upscale and luxury hotels. And if I'm correct, currently you have an exclusive portfolio of 60 hotels and resorts worldwide. Yeah, take. yeah that's great. So, so you know who you're dealing with here. My name is Leah Jordan, as I said before. And this is a data-based um, session, right? So we will share some insights from the report. We also share the download link with you in the comment section. So watch out for that. Um, knock yourselves out. It's a great document with a lot of uh, insights and great stats and also an interesting interview um, with our last guest, David Chesler. So well worth a read, have a look. And we also encourage any hotelier joining us today to have a look at the survey link for the next coming report. Um, to add your data and insights too, because Pedro writes, the more the better. And Absolutely. So I think in, in these uncertain times, I think uh, one of the important things is to share information among, you know, fellow hoteliers. And, uh, and so we encourage everybody to, to really, you know, participate in the, in the report so that we get better quality data, right? The more people answer, the better the quality of the data. Yeah, absolutely. So, and now I'm really curious to see how the, the findings are actually reflecting and what uh, Ben also has to say about these um, findings and if you can agree with them or if you disagree, so if you can add to <laughs> insights, it's always uh, very interesting to see. And to start off, um, I mean, the main the, the main aspect that, that kept with me when I looked at the report was that it's the first time um, 
in in May 2021 now in the 15th edition. I mean, you're doing this for the 15th time, right? Um, yeah. Data. Um, it's the first time that bookings actually exceeded 2019 values since April 2020. And now you could say, let's be optimistic. That's amazing. Let's go ahead. We're on a road to recovery. Is it a reason to be optimistic? What would you say, Pedro, based on the findings? I would say that you know, I, I tend to be always on the optimistic side, but I, I would say that May was a, an amazing uh, month overall for the industry because we saw... A, a huge pickup in bookings, uh, mostly on the direct channel and on Booking.com. Booking.com has really turned the marketing machine up to try and generate uh, demand and drum up reservations for for our hotels. We are also seeing the other channels pick up, like Expedia, some of the larger consolidators, but at a much slower pace. Even the GDS is picking up a little bit. Uh, but I would say that at least from a bookings perspective, May was was an amazing month. And I think it started extremely well. It ended up on not such a good note because some of these ups and downs, opens and closes, the quarantine, the amber, the green list is creating a lot of uncertainty. Uh, mm -hmm. So we haven't seen the flux of, you know, cancellations that we saw in 2020 when the pandemic started, but we are seeing a significant amount of rebookings. Still, I think if you look back to May, I want to show you another graph, which is a little bit further down, which is, um, um, hold on, let me just show you. I think optimism is setting in, right? More hotels are open. Um, if you look there at the red line, which are the, the percentage of hotels that are completely shut down, we're below 20% now. Uh, which, at least from, from our survey, right, which, which really is an indication that optimism is setting in. I do believe that, you know, June has brought a little bit of realism, right? There were also quite a few bank holidays at the tail end of, of May and beginning of June. Those are now over. So I think most hotels are in a waiting pattern for the, for the summer break, i.e. July and August in Europe. Now, yeah. this is really a tale of two worlds because let me see if I can find here. Here we are, right? The US is in a completely different. Uh, so, this is what's happening in Europe, but the US has been, you know, consistently with very, very large amounts of bookings since March of this year. So, I think that, that there's a much more robust um, attitude towards optimism and, and recovery in the US than, than in Europe. So, I think in Europe, we're. Uh, uh, it depends on which week we talk to our customers that they may be optimists or they may be pessimists. And I think it's a little bit of a seesaw right now. On the U.S., we are seeing consistent growth, and that's also driving uh, very high ADRs and, and leisure destinations, for instance, like Miami Beach. All right. And Ben, what would you say? Can you, can you echo what Pedro just shared, or is there some differences from your perspective that you saw in the past weeks and looking forward as well? For the yeah, I think... Yeah, I think for, for May, we saw um, gradually kind of increasing from April onwards. So we, we saw, started to see business starting to come back to, uh, to levels that we hadn't seen. And actually for, uh, for June, with a good kind of last few days now of the month, June will be our highest revenue month since uh, February um, of 2020. So kind of pre-pandemic times, that was our last trading month. So we're looking at June being probably the strongest month for us and we can already see pace of bookings for uh, July, August already exceeding kind of each previous month. So there's a definite uh, upturn coming up. I think, as you mentioned, I think May was heavily impacted by the holiday period. So we saw, um, mm -hmm. you know, huge upturns over the holiday periods. But 
still those midweek kind of business travel days are still still lagging behind where we would probably like them to be. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned that, right, Pedro, that you um, in our pre-conversation that there's that you feel some lack in confidence now when you're talking to hoteliers. Would you pick yeah. on that? Yeah, I think uh, you know one of the questions we asked uh, to uh, to our you know to our hotelier members that 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 answered the, the survey was what's their confidence in the vaccination progress uh, mm -hmm. across the world, and I think this is also reflective of the confidence in the business overall, right? And I think that there's almost like a direct correlation between confidence in the vaccination uh, progress and confidence in business re reopening, right? And uh, we can see here that North America is far and, uh, above. Uh, everybody else in the world, and then Europe. And uh, interestingly, I, th I thought Africa is is quite confident, as almost as much confident as Europe, um, which is sort of interesting. And, and for me, it points out that actually Europeans are a little bit too pessimistic about what's happening with vaccination, right? We're much further ahead um, than Africa in terms of vaccination. Still, there's not that business confidence setting in um, because, again, we're seeing this open, close, lockdown partial lockdowns in certain cities restaurants open and then until uh, 11 and then they have to go back to 6 p.m and there's this this has just created a lot of the uncertainty in our industry and i think that's sort of corroding the confidence in 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 in, in the future but i do believe that vaccination is going well in europe i do believe that you know confidence is going to set in And, um, and, and I think we're going to have a good summer and hopefully September is we're going to be sort of back to normal. It's never going to be back to normal, but sort of back to normal. September, you're saying. Ben, would you agree with that? Is that where, where we're back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's what, that's what we see. We see uh, through the summer months, obviously, the continuation of leisure travel. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think, as you mentioned, as the vaccination programs really ramp up and, and kind of hit the levels that they need to, um, then I think that we start to see business travel return. And I think that what's critical to that, I think one of the questions that um, you kind of cover is that the transatlantic corridor reopening. And as soon as that then starts to reopen, then I think that underpins business travel um, because business travel will start once again. And that's really what we need to have it. I think it's great for, uh, for our hotels to have uh, the leisure business and that will see us through the summer months. But really what we always need is that uh, underpinning of, of kind of business travel, which then, allows us to take group bookings and conference and events start to return again. And that's when you start to see uh, the economy as a whole uh, kind of coming through again. Yes. Yeah, probably I also agree more. Certainty, right, on, on the side of the corporates and travel, business travel. Um, that's that's interesting, right, Pedro? Because when I when I recall correctly from the report, um, there is a there, there is a finding that the hoteliers um, decrease their offers, like efforts around off offers for local markets like domestic markets and now they're really looking at upskilling the workforce i'll go back i'll i'll, I'll find that in, in the report here in one second i wanted to add one one more thing which is yeah, i remember uh, being here um a while back uh, probably uh somewhere in september october and we were saying you know um the u.s has to get its act together until the u.s gets its act together this is never going to return to normal because they're so important as a source market for business travel but also leisure travel and i think uh they've got their they've got they've sort of got their act together one way or the other right uh and now it's really uh for europe to pick to you know to pick up steam and and, and catch up honestly so it's sort of interesting how also the the the, the center of the of the crisis has moved right it went to the us now i think it's back in europe 
And I think it's also, you know, Americans are more risk takers than Europeans in general, right? And certainly the government. And I think the government over there is making, you know, sure that people feel safe and, and go out and spend money. And I think the, the European governments um, have to do the same, right? I, we have to build consumer confidence uh, or we won't go back. But going back to your point here, I've got the, I, I brought the slide up now, which is, you know, um, we can see here the, uh, across the, you know, the last year or so, um, hotel priorities and obviously uh, cleaning programs were very important for a while. Um, and, uh, and what we're seeing is that, you know, this, this, um, this light blue line is shape offers around the local market and that has fallen to an all time low. And I believe it was because in May people were very uh, confident that there's, there was going to be significant international travel going on, right? And when you hear that Ryanair is putting so many, you know, uh, planes up and EasyJet and so on, and they were doing sort of point-to-point -point routes um, that people weren't expecting, people were very confident that international travel is going to come back, you know, strong. Um, uh, my expectation is in, that in the next edition, um, you know, local shipping offers, shopping, shipping local offers is going to be more important again. I don't know. Um, that's my perception. Ben, how does it reflect in your commercial strategies with your teams? Do you see the same? Yeah, yeah I think in the short term, um, we, we still remain focused on uh, local um, and kind of internal travel, as we would call it, within country borders uh, and where it's allowed. But I think, uh, yeah, we start to see that change. Uh, the one thing that I thought was uh, relevant in the report to me is that the kind of upskilling the workforce and re-engaging the workforce and how important that that is for us at this moment in time because um, the industry has a, has a shortage of skilled employees and people that did retain their roles through the pandemic um, then are now under more pressure than they ever were before because there's less people. And, of course, as you start to see uh, the leisure traveller uh, staying with this longer length of stay, so uh, perhaps in some cases more demanding to, to cater for because if I think now, if I search for a hotel in most major European cities, I have the choice of any hotel. Um, you see occupancy levels which are recovering, but still um, at lower levels than they ever were before. So the consumer really has the power to choose which hotel they would they would like to stay at. And of course, that then puts an incredible pressure on the guest experience and the service delivery from pre-booking stage as well. You know, are we as good as we need to be from a digital and e-commerce point of view? And do we appear in the right search areas? And then what's that booking experience like for the consumer? Um, and then once the guest does arrive, actually, is everything as good as it can be? Because as we say now, there's so much choice available. The consumer can just vote straight away and they can just go to any hotel that they uh, potentially never could before because the pricing has changed. And I look at our markets and we see five-star hotels now we're in the four-star bracket and so on and so forth in terms of their pricing. So everyone's kind of after the same new customer. So we, we add additional pressure to the, to the workforce and now starting to try and make sure we have the systems in place for them to begin to deliver the service that's required. Oh, it sounds challenging though, right? Like yeah, and, and I, th I, I think what Ben is saying is, is spot on, right? Because what we've seen here, right, to look at domestic versus international, which is the point that I think Ben was making is, you know, we've seen a huge uh, switch from Mostly, most of our hotels that we have in our, in, in, in our CRS uh, relying 
very heavily on international travel, right? Two thirds or more of their um, of their travelers are international. Through the pandemic, actually, that switched away and it almost became two thirds local, one third international. In May, we saw a lot of bookings from uh, from international, but still the stays are a lot domestic, right? So I think we're seeing future on the books travel from international uh, travelers, but still the, the sort of we know that on the books today doesn't mean much, <laughs> right? Unfortunately, right? It gives us a warm and fuzzy feeling that the future is better. But unfortunately, because of the, the issue of uh, travel restrictions, on the books is just what it means. It's on the books. It's not, uh, it's not a, a real reservation until, until people have actually checked out. And, and therefore, I, I, do, I do think that there's, you know, if you want to, you know, capture some short-term revenue, you got to focus on the local markets, but obviously, if you look at further out, and we're getting further out as we, we're talking, uh, international is going to be critical for for especially city center and resorts to recover. Right? I think uh, I think city center, but city center has been doing um, actually quite good. I, I was quite surprised looking uh, over the last three or four weeks that we're, we're seeing some 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 primary and and some some secondary destinations doing very well in city center. Actually, a little bit better. Than I was expecting um, because um, I would expect that most people wouldn't travel uh, to city center. But also, a lot of young people are traveling. That's the other sort of interesting data point that's not in the report, but that we can see is mm -hmm. is that a lot of the guests are really young people um, that are really not worried about the pandemic any longer, right? And they just want to get out and uh, and um, and therefore, uh, what's important is that these city center destinations have actually, you know dining options and stuff to do yeah yeah we've talked about this a lot before in many other sessions right but there's there's a change probably in the consumer profile the, the, the guests that you used to know it's not the same anymore Ben, how are you like, prepping your team to actually leverage that and to make the best out of i mean you have to find the customer now right you said before it's uh, they actually are on the, on the longer side of the decision right you can have any hotel so how do you position yourself and how do you find them so, yeah, we took the opportunity during the pandemic really to think about who we are as a brand uh, and are we fit for purpose post-pandemic? Because pre-pandemic, of course, we had a, a clear marketing strategy and everything was there. But we really spent we spent now the last eight months really saying, OK, well, once the recovery starts to happen, where are we kind of targeting the right customer? Is there a new customer that we need to now go after? And we identified this quite early on in terms of the, the digital side of the guests. And as you see that the average age of travel is reducing, then um, I thought it was also interesting in the report to look at the, the now primary use of uh, technology in terms of booking, uh, particularly on mobile platforms. So we soon identified that actually we needed to invest quite heavily on a, on a mobile first uh, website. We, we go live, uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, next Friday with a new mobile first website, which is it's all been around, uh, based around what we could see would be happening, that the kind of um, short uh, lead time, particularly, we, we, we took a lead time from 28 days down to five in the space of uh, eight months. So we really started to look at, and then where were people searching for us? Are we featuring in the right place? So before we even get to the booking stage, you know, checking at that funnel at the top to make sure that we're actually identifying as many travelers as we can. Uh, and then to look at how we communicate. So we changed our style of communication also with, with a younger audience in mind and started to focus more on um, experience-led um, packages and also the use of music as well. And 
uh, people now starting to kind of miss live entertainment and live music. So what could we do to kind of bridge the gap in the meantime? And what did you do? Is, it, is there something you can share, like a good example? Yes, yeah, so we, we, we had some uh, kind of live streaming of uh, concerts that took place within our languages where we were able to and then stream that out digitally. Uh, we've created our own uh, playlist using a music partner, which we're now starting to, to share. Um, and also ch uh, kind of changed our method of communication into more um, blog-driven kind of aspirational uh, thought process and target audiences. So we're not just going out to market and say, here's a cheap deal because we know everyone's also looking for price. We started to tell more stories about the destinations that we were in and reasons to why uh, somebody would visit because you know, for me, um, you know, I would always take uh, vacations abroad when all of a sudden I can't. So now I need to look at destinations that I've never thought of before. And part of that journey is also to tell a story to potentially your own local audience that have never really thought about um, staying in their local area or taking a vacation that's less than one or two hours away from their home destination. Yeah, that's super interesting. Pedro, do you see the same with your customers? Absolutely. And, uh, I mean, as Ben was, was, was speaking, I just brought up the slide, which, which really shows, you know, the huge um, uh, explosion of mobile bookings. And I do believe that this is for two reasons. One is uh, there's a whole younger crowd that is making some short-term decisions. And if you're booking, you know, one or two nights, you really don't need to do a lot of research. If the place is right, if the, if the price is right, and if you feel confident, you're just going to book, right? You're, you're going to do a lot less shopping around, to be very honest, other than if you're, you know, if it's something that you've been planning for a while. But what we're seeing is that, as Ben was, was saying, that the, the booking windows are shortening, which means people are, are, are becoming more, um, how can I say this, emotional about their travel. And, uh, and therefore, they're going to book quickly if they see the right offer at the right time and and, and one of the things that we think is, is important and is going to continue to be important is to have sort of, you know, uh, more um, activity around the website, more uh, ways of reinforcing confidence. Um, we're also seeing that people are interacting more with hotels um, in terms of, you know, calling. Often after the booking, they will call and say, hey, tell me, what can I do? What can I do? So planning in advance because everybody's, you know, now in this new reality that you, you don't know much, even though you may know the destination very well, you don't know much about what's going on right now. So I think that as Ben was pointing out, to some extent, it's sort of a, a very difficult situation for hotels because the consumers are to some extent more demanding because they have to be, right? And on the other hand, hotels have less staff and the staff that they have is probably less trained. So I think, one, we need to look at automation, but two, we also need to be in constant communication with our frontline people to make sure that they deliver a good experience, right? Ben, are you and maybe, just, sorry, sorry to interrupt yeah, sure. you, maybe reduce some services, right? Um, uh, I, I, I won't mention the brand, but I was at a very uh, high-end five-star brand lately, and they did not have 24-hour room service. All right. At midnight, there were no more food options, right? So this is also a reflection that they can't really keep the service level ups, so they've, they've downgraded. So maybe that's something that we need to do. We just need to set the right expectation with the two. And your interpretation is they did that due to the leaner teams they're having to deal with. Exactly. That's my interpretation. A, less occupancy. B, and less occupancy means leaner teams. 
So we're going to reduce service. We're going to communicate it well and say, hey, look, if you want to have something to eat, please do make sure that you get, you know, something in the order in by midnight. And, and, and that's it, right? So if you communicate it, I think consumers are willing to take service cuts because they understand that we're in a not normal situation right now, right? As long as you communicate it well. And I think that's the critical item here. Yeah, Ben, what's your take on that? Yeah, I think it, it's really relevant. I think we're in um, such a challenging situation where you're stuck between, okay, we need to make a saving in, in the bottom line. Obviously, <laughs> occupancies are still lower than they need to be. Um, and, and my background was operational, so I see it from both sides, really. But from a commercial side, I also say, well, until we do decide to reopen and reopen fully, how do we truly attract the customer? And if you're giving a customer um, what they think is that there's such, such a pent-up demand for travel and everybody's really excited to go and travel again, unless their experience is, um, is perfect, then they're unlikely to return back. So you have to try and make sure for us, we, we look at how we can try and make sure that guest journey is as good as possible. And uh, we found success where we couldn't offer, a, um, to pick on the example of the 24-hour room service, um, we started to look at how else could we deliver that. So we start to partner with um, Uber Eats and Deliveroo. So if we can't provide the food service, at least our consumer will. Um, they will still get the same sort of food service. And then actually we found that to be incredibly successful for us where as we all know, probably room service isn't the most efficient or cost-efficient <laughs> um, uh, kind of way for our consumers. So actually, why don't we just take a percentage of margin from um, from Uber Eats or Deliveroo, give the consumer a great restaurant experience, but still within the confines of our business. So um, it's kind of looking at trying to think of ways differently. So you still give the guests that experience. Um, we still manage to maintain the payroll cost uh, and reduce that where we need to. Uh, but yeah, yeah, making sure you offer a service that's relevant. No, yeah, that's, that's a great practice. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And but probably more so for like city center hotels, of course, right? I don't think yeah. on the destinations you get like Uber Eats. Yeah, not everywhere is available. Yeah, not everywhere is available. But uh, yeah, where we can, uh, for sure, then we would always seek to. And um, yeah, I think it's important that you have um, kind of different ways of, of looking at how you can deliver or can you provide. Uh, we also went into partnership with a, um, a company that were um, specialists in airline food, but high quality airline food to say, okay, well, where we didn't have our kitchens open, what could we also deliver to the guests from a food and beverage point of view, which would still be of good enough quality, um, right. but still with limited uh, availability of people. Yeah. Sounds good. Listen, there's a question from the audience. We have Michael Tarrett joining us. Hi, Michael. Thank you for tuning in and being with us here in this session. And I just read it out and then uh, I opened the floor to it. <laughs> so Michael is uh, saying, when it comes to Europe and the UK, taking into account the continual changes to restrictions on travel and the traffic light systems for safe destinations, etc., how can hotels craft a viable marketing strategy that both invites international travelers that we talked about and conveys a sense of confidence that their travel plans will not be hindered by COVID restrictions, requirement, requirements, etc. It's a holistic question, so I'm uh, looking forward to your replies. Ben, how about you start? Sure. Um, I think that the one part that still remains critical is um, total flexibility and total uh, e kind of ease of cancellation uh, and freedom of movement, really. I think that's the critical part. I don't think we're at a stage where we can go back uh, to advanced purchase and prepaid rates, which are non-refundable. Uh, non-transferable so i think the first thing you have to make sure is that um do you have a policy which allows flexible movement and 
and also we extend that into smaller groups and meetings and events as well so um, for us it's something that we looked at to say actually how could we there's less of a risk now if we think our hotels will, will run at occupancy levels of between 50 and 75 percent for the foreseeable um, historically on those peak nights you would always say well I need to protect those so therefore I need to, to levy high cancellation charges but now if that group of say 50 rooms drops down to 30 yes you have some short-term displacement but actually you're not really displacing high amounts of revenue so for us it's trying to make it as flexible as possible um, to build uh, the confidence of consumer um, as well in terms of your safety offering and your uh, approach to cleanliness. But I think as the report said, I think that's now kind of falling behind slightly and people are now kind of uh, done with the, the whole kind of uh, total COVID safe. You now have to look at ways that you can now um, protect the consumer, but provide them with that same great experience. So I think flexibility is, is key. And I think that will be for some time because, yeah, I think it was we, we briefly spoke before. I think I'm, I'm stacked up with a number of flights that I have where I have vouchers and credits to use, and I will use them at some stage. Um, and I actively would seek to, to book a vacation now if I saw a good deal available, providing I could rebook, providing I had that total flexibility to change yeah, if I needed yeah, to. Totally. Yeah, I mean, that's understandable, right? But it also carries like a risk, like an entrepreneurial risk for the hotelier side. I mean, it's, it's difficult to manage and forecast by that. Pedro. Yeah, no cash flow, yeah, for sure. So, so yeah. uh, obviously, we, we are seeing hotels getting more interested in international travel. And uh, what we're seeing is, for instance, with the UK uh, restrictions, even if you're uh, on the Amber list, the amount of PCR tests that you have to do, you know, before you fly on the destination, before you fly back, then. Uh, so I think that a, I would expect governments to become a little bit more flexible in terms of making sure that it, you don't need to have an expensive PCR test and you can do a, a 25 quid or a 25 euro antigen test um, that that would be, uh, you know, um, available. Like, for instance, if you want to travel to the US, all you need is an antigen test, right? So so you don't need a, PC, a full PCR test at 150 quid or whatever, right? So I think that part of the problem is consumers are, you know, adding all these costs up, right? And, and if you do all, all this stuff and then you have to fly back home like we, we had uh, in, in May, people flying back home because the government changes things overnight, doesn't give people enough time to come back and all this stuff, right? So this is creating, I think, a serious barrier. So what I would say is from a hotelier perspective, we got to think through the consumer's eyes and think of solutions. And I know a lot of hotels that have partnered with labs and they have, you know, people coming to the hotel once or twice a week uh, for an hour or two hours and people can do the tests right at the hotel so they don't, they don't have to find out where can I get my, my test done, right? And they could put it on their hotel bill. And so, so there's things that we can, in this new ex travel experience that, that hotels can do to try and to minimize the pain that consumers have to go through um, to stay at hotels. Um, these are just some examples of, of things that we've seen um, uh, hopefully is due, but uh, but I'm sure that um, that more will come. But but honestly, my hope is that governments are going to become a little bit more flexible. I mean, this PCR test requirement is is especially in the UK is just going absolutely nuts. Where you have to do one before you come, one before you go, and then two when you land. I mean, that alone could be easily 600 euros or 600 pounds. I mean, uh, it's, it's 
it's a, a lot more than an family. airline ticket. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that's, that's a bucket size for one family member for some families, right? right. For vacation, so you consider twice if you do that. Yeah, yeah. Ben, is there any properties from Penta where you where you offer um, testing on, on on location to ease the situation for the customers? Yeah, we, we, our hotel in Leipzig in Germany has a testing center built in. Um, I think I think it's as, as you said there, Pedro. I think as governments then start to become, uh, or as countries start to become more vaccinated, and the vaccination levels rise, and we have for the for the countries that have double vaccinations, then once you reach that kind of level um, of safety of there, then um, I really strongly hope and believe that there will be then, you know, the, these things will start to loosen. And yes, well, maybe we'll go to the antigen test because I think the critical part for, for me, uh, what we try to breach to our team and say to them is, as horrible as this um, disease and illness is, it's not going to go away in the in the short right. term. It's going to be here for two, three, four or five years. We're not going to eradicate it. So we have to start to to kind of look at ways that we can cope with it and, and how we can allow freedom of movement once again. Um, we just have to now start to look at ways of yeah, how we can overcome those um, those restrictions because until we have those um, lifted or freedom of movement, then business travel can't return. And we need business travel to return because the leisure customer will only um, give us a certain amount of volume on certain days of the week. And, that business uh, movement has to happen to allow the whole economy to move again for us. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, um, and this, all these efforts with the passport and all this stuff, it's, it's going to be critical, right? Because uh, as Ben is saying, it, it, no company, large company, right? The people that really drive business travel are the large companies, right? Obviously, all the smaller startup companies and so on, they will travel if they need to, right? Because there's not so much duty of care as there is, you know, an aggressiveness to go after business. But if you think about the big companies in the world, this duty of care thing is really important. And, and if they don't have all the, you know, all the T's, uh, you know, crossed and all the I's dotted, they're not going to put people on plans. And I, I got a slide here, which is one of the questions that we ask people, which is when do people expect business travel to return, right? And, you know, if you look at this truly is that, People expect it to return in the second quarter of 2022, right? Uh, really be back. And, and that means we still have almost a year ahead of, you know, limited business travel. Um, we are seeing on the great hotel side that people are, you know, tentatively booking events and groups for the end of 2021 and, and the, the first and second quarter of 2022, but it's still tentative, right? Uh, we, we saw just uh, last week, I think, Confex was supposed to have happened in, in London, and with one week advance notice, they moved it to September, right? So, right. so there's still a lot of uncertainty in the market, and, and I think we're gonna have to navigate these waters and just be resilient, right? Uh, I always say, travel is gonna come back, right? People will wanna travel, and we've seen so much pent up demand, right? And I think it shows, right? People want to travel. Uh, you, we have the example of the, the U.S., which is sort of the path that we should, you know, uh, ambition for Europe at this stage. And um, travel is going to come back. Question is when, and we have to make sure, as hopefully is, that we're obviously responsible and are not incentivizing the spread of the disease. But I also think that the numbers we're looking at are the wrong numbers, right? If we continue to look at, as Ben was saying, the virus is going to be here for a very long time, right? So if we're going to look at people that are infected, that's going to be the wrong number. We've got to look at, you know, how many people are really getting sick and how many people are 
getting seriously sick from the because as we learn how to you know with a vaccine and so on where people can get infected but they're not going to get seriously sick then maybe it's just like we have to live with this right and we can't just um, stay home for three years or four years yeah. right and yeah um, is there was there any other point pedro where you said that was very surprising to you when you saw the results from this 15 edition of the report no not really i because i uh, it's quite curious right i think as um as bookings come in optimism sets in as bookings slow down or cancellations come in you know <laughs> pessimism sets in I think the, the, the one thing that I do believe, and it's more not from the report, but from just from interacting with people in general, is that there's this fatigue set, setting in, right? Uh, and people are just fed up with the situation. So there's going to be some people that are, are going to say, I'm going to travel no matter what. I, I really don't care. I'm not going to use a mask. I'm not going to do anything, right? So there's going to be these rebels uh, somehow. And then there's other people that are going to say, I'm not going to do anything until everything is over. So I think that there's going to be, you know, some... Yeah, both extremes are not good, though. So. Some extremes. Some yeah, helping. <laughs> yeah. And we have to be resilient, right? And, and message accurately and say, hey, look, you can come safely. This is the situation. Yes, we have more cases, but, you know, nobody's really dying from this stuff, right? We have to message better, uh, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And looking at hotel, the hotel's teams, um, Ben, I can imagine it's it's quite a challenge probably to keep motivation up and keep the teams engaged. And I mean, it's, it's hard, right? If there's an uptick, then there's cancellations, then there's a change again. And, you know, you, you work hard because what you described, it's not that you're, you're not bored, right? You have enough to do right now. So yeah. how, well, how would you describe that? How, how do you approach this? Yeah, I think you have to um, to look really quite in detail over the kind of mental uh, awareness and the mental health of your employees over these times as well, because it is, it's, um, you know, I, I this morning had a, a conference with our sales team and it's so um, challenging for them. If you think about a normal, the, the way a salesperson thinks they've worked so hard to bring a client in historically and they treat the client as their own. And all of a sudden over the last 18 months, they've just seen everything they've worked for disintegrate almost overnight um, and now they're having to look trying to find new ways and new customers it's um, it's really challenging for people and I think you have to try and find ways to motivate as as quick as possible and um, set small and manageable goals and you really start to celebrate the smallest of wins which I think is so important sometimes you forget that you know at, at our worst we were back at uh, the lowest levels of revenue that you could ever imagine and then you have to really, you know, we're kind of celebrating the fact that we've achieved 15% occupancy in one of our hotels. <laughs> but you have to because otherwise you just end up in a downward spiral of negativity. And um, I think it's so important that you do kind of remain as upbeat as possible because, the, as you said, the industry will recover. I, this weekend, uh, just gone, I was in London um, on a leisure weekend and it was the first time I've actually felt that the restaurants were full again and the bars were full again and you could feel um, a sense of energy that people were, were kind of buzzing from this kind of feeling and um, they, a lot like you see in the US and um, the same type of way that people just have this desperation to have some form of normality again. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, what becomes what I thought was really interesting and in, in, from my experience is um, it was the first kind of leisure break that we truly had for a, quite a while and price becomes less of an issue. So in terms of, we went to a great restaurant for lunch and then a great restaurant for dinner. We went to a pre-cocked 
Pearl Bar. And it was only on the Sunday that I looked at my credit card statement and I'm like, wow. We, <laughs> we, <laughs> we, we may have overdone this. Yeah, <laughs> you should add like a section to your report because I also, I, I can echo that from base, like based on my conversations I have at hoteliers, they say like the, the guests actually staying at the hotel, they, they triple, like triple the amount of money spending on site. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah but unfortunately, I don't have any slide to show with data for that. It <laughs> shows you so kind of kind of wanting to go back to normal that you know you that extra drink or that extra restaurant you go to that you wouldn't normally, and then you try and cram it all into a short period of time. So <laughs> no, did I come back much poorer? I also came back quite a little bit heavier as well. From, from <laughs> but, yeah, but, but also happier, I assume. Absolutely. <laughs> But it probably has like very concrete implications on the digital guest journey, right? Because if you consider that, it's the more like imperative that you have a good process um, on site during the stay, upselling, etc., and automation that you mentioned before, Pedro. But yeah, like so, yeah. I, I think this, although we, now there's like this this um, this resilience needed, and we still need to like work on being upbeat and looking positively the future there's still so much opportunity, right? To also take this and look at the current situation and just really test with the current customers how to really improve the entire journey. And that's what you shared as well, right, Ben, that you said yeah. that that's what you looked at, the, the guest journey, and just to be even better than before to make sure to not lose any of them. Yeah, I think we were we were so far behind from a hospitality point of view and still are from a, from a digital tech point of view. And, you know, I can do um, my grocery shopping now and have it delivered within the next two hours to my home address. Then that's the norm now for people. And you, you look at the rise of Amazon and Uber being the classic examples, but it's because they have a great digital uh, platform and digital service that can deliver. Um, and, yeah, hospitality has to now step up and, and also deliver that same digital um journey that the guest now just assumes is the norm you know it's no longer yeah. acceptable to have a lag or a waiting time on a booking window because they'll just click off and go elsewhere um so we have to step up yes right listen we, we're we're into 45 minutes now so like soon so um yeah maybe it's a good time to wrap up and something i took away is of course that um, flexibility is key um, that there is an, um, an uptick in the in the bookings, and that we we'll have to look for September. That there's um, the, the <laughs> horizon. Is there any thoughts from like both of you? Like, what keeps you up at night right now? What's what's really keeping you up, looking at the months to come, where you think this is really vital? That's what we should not miss when setting up a good commercial strategy for hotels to navigate through the reopening phase and recovery. Um, yeah, for for me, I think it was probably um, we we saw this uh, upturn at the same time last year. So we saw the rise of the summer bookings um, through the summer, and we, we follow whilst we're ahead of last summer, we followed the same kind of upward turn. And then as we got into winter again with new restrictions, then we saw that gradually fall away again. So I guess that I believe business travel will start to come back, but I, it kind of a nagging date I have in my mind is whether there's any restrictions in the winter. We just don't know what the winter will bring. Um, so that would be my only thing that I, um, I have no hair left to lose, so I, and I don't speak very much anyway. So that would be my only two worries that I would have. Right. Pedro, what about you? I, I, I would almost echo it exactly, which is uh, what I worry about is that, you know, the governmental decision makers, um, are so scared. They seem like they're running scared, honestly. And and 
and they're unwilling to try new things. And that's what scares me, right? Which is, okay, we're at the different vaccination level, but we're still using the same, you know, uh, indicators to, sh to, to, to think whether this is, it's safe or not to travel. That just doesn't make any sense to me, especially in the UK, where we have a lot of people with the double vaccine, with all both doses of the vaccine and so on and so forth. So what keeps me awake at night is that, that something happens somewhere in the world and everybody decides to lock down again, right? And I think this is what's, what's precluding also the industry to make the investments, whether it's in contactless technology or automation or whatever, right? Because everybody's afraid that, you know, if the government says nobody can travel for the next six months, then why did I spend all this money, you know, putting this new tech in that's actually going to save me money in, in, in the long run? But in the meantime, it was an investment that I could have delayed for six months. And I think until we get that confidence back into the travel industry, and I do believe that if things get better in the summer and if September goes well, that we'll get that confidence back in. But as Ben was saying, if somebody in September decides that, you know, it's not safe to travel to, you know, some country, it becomes a, a bit of an issue. Right. Yeah, I see. But I, do, but I do expect that, for instance, long-range travel to... Asia and Africa and so on is going to be, you know, depressed for a very long time. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, business is not going to is not going to invest in, in destinations where people are not fully vaccinated. Right. Yeah. There's another question, which is a perfect timing now. Again, from Michael Terry. Thank you again. And it's for you, Ben, uh, as you can see probably on the screen too, right? Um, and he asked, what is the most frequent guest concern that you receive when considering booking? And how do you, um, as you said, concerns? How do you? So, yeah, the, the number one still remains to be uh, what services and facilities are open. Um, during my stay, will I have the experience that I expect to have? So is your restaurant open at full service and so on and so forth? And um, we're now, as I said earlier, we're at that kind of critical tipping point of we have to almost spend our way back out of this by reopening as normal, by giving the guests everything they need to. And that will mean that in the short term, We make losses in terms of our restaurants will be empty at times and we'll, we'll have downtimes, but it, we have to start to go back to, to a normal level of service. And so that's what we're trying to do now uh, where possible. Uh, we will try and reopen fully uh, and provide all the services that, that we, we have to. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I'd say... Um... We can wrap up, I guess, and for everyone in the audience um, who really wants to dig into this, um, um, dip into this data again and read more detail, the report is there for a free download. It's a great read, and it will come up next month again, 16th edition. So for any hotelier, please add your day too, so we have even richer information next month. And let's see what changes until next month, or if it. Um, a continuous development way and for everyone who tuned in thank you so much for taking the time and being with us here and ben we appreciate you took the time too to share your insights uh, openly um i always um admire um if hoteliers share openly from their strategies and how everything is going with their teams because i think that's just the best learning for all of us absolutely but it's not without saying so we appreciate that a lot thank you so thank much you. and pedro it's a it was a It was a pleasure again. We're looking forward to the next session. And yes, yeah, hopefully we can. We keep <laughs> more than I should say. Yeah. And if, if you go for the, if you if you go for a governmental role, let me know. I vote for you. So we <laughs> Oh no. Trust no? me, I okay. wouldn't like to be in that in that situation. It's well, I, you know it honestly, like you it's not yes. easy, right? It's not easy, yeah, but, but like I think idea. there's gotta be 
some common sense. You, you can't use, you know, metrics from a year ago to, to decide what to do now, I think. Right, no, it's also about speed, right? And I mean, in any right. flexible speed, just be um, open to change and just don't stick with the old rules. And yeah, yeah. you don't lose your face just because you changed something, what you said <laughs> months ago, right? Yeah, if the circumstances yeah. demand that. Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. All right, thank you very much, Leah and Have, a, and have yeah. a great evening and afternoon and uh, morning, whoever is tuning in from other countries. And see you soon. It's bye for now. And uh, speak soon again. Bye. Thank you.